Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Amen. Brilliant. So we ended our Armor of God series last week. Uh, James did an awesome job of challenging us on the, the topic of prayer. If you weren't there, I, I was going to say I suggest. I'm going to change that. If you weren't there, I insist that you listen to the podcast. It was really good, and it will challenge you and do you good to listen to the things he had to say about prayer. And this week, we start a new series called What Love does. Just want to give you a little bit of a peek behind the scenes so you understand where we're coming from as far as this series is concerned and where we're headed towards. So <clears throat> the thing I've, I was really challenged with as I was sitting with the, with the idea of planning the series, the thing I was really challenged with and I walked away from and came back to, walked away from and came back to, was a very simple message. Simple message being this, we need to be reminded that Jesus loves us. We need to be reminded that Jesus loves us. And when we remember that Jesus loves us, it helps us to, I don't know, helps us to maybe have a fresh appreciation for the things that Jesus did for us on the cross, but also it helps us to see that we need to love others like Jesus loved us. And, uh, and so we're going to be looking at lots of different um, narratives over the next few weeks as we ramp up to Easter. We're going to look at different narratives where Jesus had encounters with different people, different things that Jesus said and did to demonstrate His love. You know, back in the day, one of my favorite Christian bands was DC Talk. And I know that when I say that, it, it puts me in a particular age bracket. But that is okay. I'm happy with how old I am. Yeah, DC Talk... Why are you looking at me at that, Phoebe? Uh, DC Talk did a song called Love is a Verb. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that as, although we use the word love and we're expressing an emotion, a feeling, actually love is a verb. It is a doing word. And if we're good at saying that we love, but we don't do anything about it, then maybe we need to question whether we do, in fact, love in the first place. So love is a verb. So the series, What Love Does, looks at some of the things that Jesus said and did, and, uh, and we're encouraged and inspired by that, but also we have the opportunity to examine ourselves and to say, am I doing these things to express love towards my family, the family of God, and love towards the people who don't know God? <clears throat> so we're going to start with a narrative that I'm pretty sure you've heard of. There's this dude called Lazarus. You may have heard of him. Um, we're going to talk about this narrative and look at some of the things that Jesus says and does. One particular thing that Jesus does in the narrative. One of the reasons we're starting with Lazarus, it may seem a bit of a, a random one to start with as we ramp up towards Easter. In fact, I was thinking about this. You know, at my house, we start preparing for Christmas around about, I don't know, October in my head, I'm thinking about Christmas. Yeah, because we have to plan for the Christmas services, we have to think about which songs we're doing, and, and so I have to start listening, I have to, I have to start listening to Christmas music kind of early just to get my head into that space. And we do, don't we, spend a lot of time planning um, the, the kind of the, the journey towards Christmas. But I felt really challenged that I don't really spend a lot of time planning towards Easter. 
I don't. And it kind of comes upon us, and we're like, way, Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again from the dead, and then we move on. But actually, this is a significant moment in history, and a significant moment in our lives as people who follow Jesus, this event where Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to defeat death and sin and the power they have over us. It's a significant moment. And so I was challenged on, on the journey towards that. So that's where we're headed with this series, the journey towards the cross. The reason we're starting with Lazarus is in verse 53 of John chapter 11. So we will read the passage together in a moment. But right at the end when, uh, spoiler, sorry, if you, if you don't know what happens in the story, just just put your fingers in your ears now. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, at the end of that, at the end of that incident, you can put, take your fingers out now. At the end of that incident, this is where the Jewish, um, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and those people at the top of uh, Jewish culture, this is the thing that tipped them over. This is the thing that was the tipping point for them. In verse 53, it says, so from that day, they plotted to take his life, talking about Jesus. So it was the Lazarus incident, which sounds like a science fiction movie title. It was the Lazarus incident that sparked the, the, the planning and the plotting of Jesus to be uh, crucified. So this kind of is the beginning of Jesus' journey, if you like, you could say that, towards the cross. So John chapter 11, I'll read it to us. I might stop a few times because I can't help myself. And, uh, and then we'll look at a particular thing that love does. John chapter 11 says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, no, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Can you imagine if you were the one who rocked up and gave this message, Jesus, the one you love is sick, and you're expecting Jesus to say, okay, let's, let's go. And then Jesus says, uh, this sickness will not end in death. Um, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days you would have been a little confused at what was happening there. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. That's significant. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, bless him, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's always quite cheerful, Thomas. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to com comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Such confidence. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. I want to stop here for a moment. We cannot skip past this declaration of faith, this declaration of what she believed that Martha does. We can't just skip past that because that is absolutely powerful. This, this in, in Jewish culture, here is a woman who is saying to a friend of hers, to Jesus, she's saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. It's an incredible declaration of faith that Martha is, is making here. And she didn't follow Jesus around with his disciples. She wasn't one of the disciples. She didn't go into the villages preaching and teaching. She didn't do any of those things. But here she totally believes that Jesus is who he said he was. It is incredible. After this, she said, after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, word for word what Martha said before, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There's always those people in the crowd. In the crowd of your life, there's always people like this. In a situation where something is sad or a situation where something is happy, there's always someone saying, yes, but. Yes, but. And you need to be careful which voices you allow into your life. You need to be careful which voices you pay attention to. Yes, but. Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you, had sent, that you have sent me. This is an example of what I like to call a horizontal prayer. I don't know if you've ever experienced a prayer like this, where you're in a prayer meeting and someone prays. They're not actually talking to God. They're talking to everyone in the room. Yeah? It's like one of those informational prayers where they start, it sounds like a prayer because it starts with dear God, but everything else is just information for everyone in the room. But this is one of those prayers. Jesus is praying, but actually he's praying for the benefit of all the people who were there. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. People were freaking out everywhere. That, I think that's in the original Greek. Uh, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Incredible story. And, uh, and it is, I confess that it is difficult to read through that passage and get to what I have to talk about tonight and not just stop and pick loads of things out because there's so much stuff in this passage. Please, in your own time, read through John chapter 11 and just sit with it. Just let it rest. Just let it rest with you and allow Jesus to speak to you through it. It is so rich and there is so much good stuff in this passage. So, where are we going today? Well, we're talking about the fact that uh, we're talking about what love does and our, our kind of idea for today is love weeps with those who weep. Love weeps with those who weep. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I loved that verse as a kid because, as I may have said before, when I grew up in Sunday school, uh, they would take a register and you had to say a memory verse when they said your register. Yeah? That was, they'd say Nick, and then you had to stand up and say a memory verse. And, and this was every week. So it got to the point where we were just trying to find the shortest verses we could in the Bible, which is good because we had to look through the Bible to find verses. So I guess that's a good thing. So Jesus wept. You weren't allowed to say the same thing every week because uh, the teacher was smart and would catch you and say, hey, you said that last week. Um, but we, we would keep it in regular rotation. Jesus wept. There's another one in 1 Thessalonians that says, rejoice always. It's a great verse. Yeah, so so we would, we would work hard to find the shortest ones we could to, uh, so we couldn't be bothered. But in fact, the time we took trying to find short verses, we probably could have learned something that was a bit longer. But anyway, Jesus wept. What does, what does the fact that Jesus wept mean for us? What does it mean for us? Jesus comes to this situation as the Son of God, Martha identifies him as such. She says, I believe that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. And so Jesus comes to this situation. And in the middle of the situation where people are weeping and people are upset because their brother has died, Mary and Martha's brother has died, their friend has died, and then in Jewish culture, you would just get loads of people who came along for the, for the, for the crying. Yeah, you'd get people who, you'd get professional mourners who'd come along who were good at crying. I'm not even joking. That's what happens. Yeah, you get professional mourners who come and they cry and they make a big scene because that, you know, they stir the whole thing up. So there would have been people like that in the crowd. There would have been people who were curious in the crowd. And you would have had these people in verse 37 who were like, hmm, you could have done something about this. Mm, the, the kind of the mumblers. Yeah? Mumblers. There would have been those in the crowd as well. And Jesus is in this circumstance. And he weeps. The Bible says he was deeply moved. And Jesus wept. What does that mean for us? First thing I'd like to point to, I think it means. I think it means this. It means that Jesus sees you. He sees you. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Jesus sees you. He sees what's happening in your life. He sees the stuff that happens below the surface that you never share with anyone, that you keep to yourself. He sees what's going on inside of you, and he wants you to know this evening that he sees you. Mary was in a crowd. 
But it says, when Jesus saw her weeping. And if, maybe it feels sometimes like we're in a bit of a crowd, just generally in life. Or maybe we think that Jesus sees people who are good, and in our heads we know, I'm not that good, so Jesus might not see me. But let me tell you this evening, Jesus sees you. He sees you. And I don't mean in a, in a threatening way, like I used to say to my children when they were little, Jesus sees you. Yeah, that is... It wasn't a, it wasn't a, I wasn't trying to comfort them. It was a warning. Jesus sees you. That's, that's not what I'm trying to... Well, maybe if, if that stirs something in your heart, then, you know, you need to sort it. <laughs> but Jesus sees the, the distress you are in. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a gig or a concert and, uh, and you're, you're standing in the crowd and the person who you've gone to see is on the stage and, you know, occasionally they'll walk to the edge of the stage or they point at people. And, it, and I guess the whole idea is to make some connection with the audience. I'm imagining this because it's never happened to me. But you may get that moment where it looks like they've looked at you. And you're like, oh, she looked right at me. Did you see that then? She looked right at me. Or he looked right at me. He pointed at me. And then people start arguing over who the, the celebrity or the, the, the person is pointing at. Why is that? Because we want to be seen. We want to be seen. And the fact that Jesus came into this situation and saw what they were doing and responded with tears, it grabs me and it tells me that Jesus sees me. You know, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 16, there's a story of Abraham, and um, it's a bit grim. You know, Abraham and Sarah and, and the servant and all of that really complicated family dynamics that happens in the Old Testament. And uh, what happens in this part of the, of the narrative is Sarah gets really upset with her servant, Hagar, because she has a child, and now her servant has a child with Abraham as well. I encourage you to read that in your own time. We haven't got time to go into all of that. And she gets really annoyed, and she asks Abraham to get rid of this woman. So he kicks Hagar out, and her son, he sends them into, um, into the wilderness. And so they do that. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 16, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress. The angel of the Lord said, go back and submit to her. I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. See, she was in the wilderness and she had decided this was enough. There was, no, there was no water, there was no food for her, but there is this provision that comes to her. And then in verse 13, it says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. She had a moment where she thought no one cared about her. No one was interested in her life. No one was interested in what was going to happen to her in the future. But she has an encounter and she realizes that God is the one who sees her. And that's, that's how she referred to God from that point. And I want us to be people who refer to God this way too. That God sees me. Jesus sees me. The second thing, really, that, that this passage tells me is that not just that He sees you, but He is concerned about you. It's not like Jesus is just observing your life and seeing what, how you respond to things, and seeing what you face, 
And you know, one day you'll be with him in glory. He is concerned about you now. The narrative says he saw that they were upset, he saw that they were weeping, and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is not the response of an aloof, distant God. This is the response of someone who loves and cares deeply about us. He is concerned about you. There's a, this is reflected, I guess, in the Old Testament again, you know, when the children of Israel are in captivity. And uh, Moses, you know, Moses turns aside to the bush that's burning and has this incredible conversation with God in Exodus chapter 3. And in verse 7, Exodus chapter 3, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Next verse, so I have come down to rescue them. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, so I have come down. I mean, there's, there's a four-part sermon there for anyone who want to write that down and preach it at some point. It's great. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, and so I have come down. And the fact that Jesus arrived here and was so moved that he shed tears tells me that he is deeply moved about what happens in your life. He is concerned about you. The third thing, he shares your pain. He shares your pain. You know, we're talking about what love does. Love shares pain and doesn't minimize it. Bearing in mind the Son of God arrived at a funeral, the Son of God arrived at a funeral where he had told his friends, I am going to wake him up. I am going to raise him from the dead. He arrived there knowing that in a few moments, Lazarus would be alive, he could have said very different things at this funeral. He could have told them to pull themselves together. He could have. He could have said, I'm here. You know, he had a conversation with Martha about the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. He could have said, hey guys, seriously, I'm the resurrection and the life. Let's, let's sort this crying stuff out. I'm here now. Let's deal with this. He could have done that. I had many conversations as a youth leader a long time ago, and my top phrase for pastoral ministry with young people was this, get a grip. <laughs> get a grip. Now, maybe, you know, sometimes you need to be a bit more emotionally involved <laughs> and gentler. But teenagers need to be told sometimes to get a grip. And Jesus could have rocked up at the funeral and told them, to get a grip. I'm here now. He could have rebuked them for their unbelief. Why are you crying? I am here. I can raise Lazarus from the dead. Don't you believe this can happen? In fact, he kind of had this kind of conversation with Martha, didn't he? Martha says, um, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus gently, gently turns her attention. You see, what she was doing is what we do we have an event in mind. And her event was the resurrection of the last day when we all will be raised from the dead to be with Jesus in glory. I'm thinking about that. That is an event I'm looking forward to. I know that it will happen and I will see my brother again. But Jesus says that you're thinking about an event, but actually you need to think about the person. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And so he, he was gently turning our attention away from an event, something in the future, to looking at him as the person. He could have told everyone that, stop this crying. But he didn't do that. The Bible says he was deeply moved and he wept. He chooses to share in our pain. If Jesus of all people, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who in just a few minutes time, just a few lines of text time, is going to speak and raise someone from the dead. If he of all people could take the time to be with people and to share in their sadness, what makes us think that we shouldn't do that? What makes us think that we should have the answers instead? Or that we should tell people to get a grip? I didn't tell anyone who was mourning to get a grip. All right, I just want to make that very clear. That, that's, not what, that's not what get a grip is for. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect, as we are yet, without committing any sin. We don't have someone who doesn't understand what we're going through, or who doesn't experience the same emotion that we do. He shares your pain. I heard a story a long time ago about uh, some hostages <clears throat> who'd been hostage for a long time, and uh, there was a team of soldiers who broke in to rescue them. And uh, after, the, after the enemies had been eliminated, the hostages, not the hostages, the soldiers went over to the hostages and said, you're free, let's go. And they refused to move because they were so entrenched in their captivity, so entrenched in, in where they were, sat in a dark corner of the room. They just wouldn't move. And then one of the soldiers, he put his gun down, he took his helmet off, and he walked over to the corner where they were, and he sat down on the floor with the hostages, and he just stayed there for a while. And then he got up, and he encouraged them to leave with him, and then they did. And I love that story because it is a picture of the gospel. It is a picture of the gospel that we are lost, that we are hostages to sin in that sense, lost in darkness, not really sure what to do, but Jesus chooses to come into our lostness, to come into our darkness, and to show us the way out. The final thing is this. He brings healing. I love it that this passage, this narrative, doesn't say, Jesus wept, and then we move on to a new chapter. It doesn't do that. He did weep, and he did engage in their pain, and he did engage in their grief, but it doesn't end there. And sometimes we have a propensity, it's a good word, to just focus on the stuff that's not good, when actually Jesus wants to lead us through the stuff that's not good. I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, I, generally when I'm preparing for a sermon, that every time I listen to something or read something, it, it's just like all of it is coming together. It's a beautiful thing when it happens, to be fair. And uh, this woman called Sarah Chapels was talking about a book that she'd written called uh, The Journey to Joy, I think. But she said this, and I thought it was really challenging. She said, there is a movement today in society and culture to group us together based on our wounds and our offenses in order to find community. It's speaking to our identity and that this is who you are. The goal is that people are known by their wounds. Your past, your wounds, and your offenses define who you are in this community. However, 
Jesus needs to be the hero of your story, not you. Now, there is a joy and there is a release that comes from a community of, of people who have shared the same wound or the same offense. There is, there is something healing about that. But when you allow that to define who you are and that becomes your identity, then you've, you've become someone who stays in that instead of someone who allows Jesus to lead you through it. And Jesus didn't leave these people crying. He led them through it. The story didn't end when Jesus wept. In fact, Jesus then moves on to raise Lazarus from the dead. So how does this affect us, and uh, how do we take this going forward? The fact that Jesus sees us, that He is concerned about us, that He um, shares our pain, and that He brings healing. Well, I encourage us to be people who weep with those who weep, who get involved in, in difficult circumstances with people, but not to the sense that we feel like we have to have the answers. We don't always have the answer. You know, Jesus is the answer, and the answer turned up, but still wept with them. And I think that's incredibly powerful. In the, in the narrative of Job, when Job had such horrible things happen to him, Three friends turned up to be with Job, and the Bible says they sat in silence with him for seven days. They didn't say anything. They probably should have carried on not saying anything, to be fair, because when they started talking, they, they didn't say very good stuff. And that's a lesson to us, that, that sometimes we can trip over ourselves in trying to say things that maybe we think are helpful, but actually, it's okay to sit with people and to not feel like we have to answer questions. You know, even when the end is resurrection, grief is okay. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to weep. But that's not where we stay. You know, I remember when I was a kid, Good Friday was my least favorite day of all the holidays. We didn't go to school, so that was good. It's always good when you don't have to go to school. But my parents, my parents had this rule, and the rule was this. Good Friday, we don't play outside. Not allowed to play outside because it's Good Friday. You stay inside. It's, it's a day to be sad and to be miserable because that's how I felt. Why can't I play outside? Because it's Good Friday. Yeah, but everybody else is playing outside. Yeah, but not us. It's Good Friday. You stay in. It was so, it was so annoying. And then as a teenager... Obviously, you don't want to play outside as a teenager, but I couldn't go and visit my friends on Good Friday. I had to stay in. And so we, uh, we had many conversations, <laughs> many, you know, sometimes very loud conversations about why I needed to stay inside on Good Friday. But the thing is, and we may laugh at that, the thing is, sometimes it's good to sit where we are. Sometimes it's good to think about what Jesus did on the cross. And I know I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for don't go anywhere on Good Friday, be morose and miserable, and then Saturday you can cheer up, and then Sunday, woo, Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not saying that, yeah? We can, we can be happy on Good Friday, yeah? Please be happy on Good Friday. But it's good to acknowledge where you are. And it's good to acknowledge what's happening inside of you. I was really challenged when I was preparing this to write this sentence. So here it is. If you ignore what's happening inside of you, you won't be able to give it to Jesus because as far as you're concerned, 
There's nothing there to give. If there's stuff that's happening inside of you, whether it's a sadness or a grieving, and you are ignoring that, I think you are in danger of denying yourself the opportunity for healing because you're not in a place to say, this is actually what's here, and I want to give this to you, Jesus, so that you can work in me. And so we have to be people who admit what's happening in us, but allow Jesus to take us through where we are, over and over and out to the other side where he brings healing in some form, in some way, maybe through something that someone says, maybe just sitting in his presence, maybe weeks, maybe days, maybe minutes, maybe months. We don't know. But the idea is that we sit with Jesus and allow him to share what we're carrying so that healing will come. Love weeps with those who weep. And in this instance, Jesus brought incredible comfort to those people, incredible comfort to those sisters, the people he loved, incredible um, opportunity for people to see who he was in this moment, and so much so that he offended the Jewish leaders to the point where they started to plot his death. Love just, just doesn't talk about stuff. Love does. And we're called to be people who do things and not just talk about them. Let's pray. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.